Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Right, so we are on our wholeness series. And I believe our, the church, both Alive but the global church, we're, we're in the business of wholeness. We want to bring people into the wholeness that Jesus has to offer for them. We want to help guide people on how to live a, a whole life. And ultimately, we want to be able to train and equip people so that they can take this wholeness and spread it to this town, to the people around us. And so today, we are looking at a wholeness mindset. And this is quite a, a meaty topic, really, because it, it is predominantly looking at the area of mental health, which is a huge subject. It affects many of us both inside and outside the church. And so as I was preparing this marriage, I, this message, uh, I really felt the weight of that because I want to do this justice. I recognize that even in this room, we've got a wide spectrum of, of people in their uh, journey of mental health. We'll have those that are in a great place, that are feeling strong, feeling healthy. They'll have those of us that are that occasionally struggle with the odd bout of depression or anxiety and then on the far end you've got people that are really struggling with really very serious problems and issues and every kind of grade in between and so I want to make sure that when I stand up here I stand and speak in a way that honours every person no matter where they're at but I also want to make sure that as I stand up here I stand up here and honour both God and the word that he's given us See, there's many organisations out there that help people. There's organisations like food banks that provide food for people that need it. Homeless shelters for those that don't have a home. Uh, job centres for people and job clubs that need work. There are even uh, kind of institutes and organisations that help people with their mental health. Psychological professionals and, and, and therapists. And, and even in this church, we've got people that do great work in that area. And so as a church, it's our pleasure, really, and our opportunity to point people to these organisations. We don't need to have to try and replicate these things because they're already doing a great job. But there's something unique that we get to offer as a church. There's something unique that only we can bring. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of God. And so when I speak this morning, I don't want to just give you five steps to improve your mental health. I don't want to give you a whole breakdown of psychology and how your brain works. That's good stuff. But there are other places you can go to for that. I want to know what is God saying? What is the heart of God for each one of us in this area of mental health? What does God have to say? And so that's what we're going to work on. And so if we can just pray, because I can say some great words, but if God doesn't come, we're not really doing much. So Lord, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. And we thank you that in this area of mental health, in a whole set mindset, wholeness mindset, you're not silent, you're not leaving it for other people to do, but you have something to say to each one of us in this area. So we pray that you speak through me this morning. We pray that you work in each one of our hearts as we listen. And that you, may you do an incredible thing so that people can encounter the freedom that we've been speaking about. We ask this in your name. Amen. So where do you begin with such a broad topic trying to address what does the Bible say about this? So I ask God, where, where do you want me to start with this? 
And I felt him say, I want you to start at the place where you need to start with everything, whether it's a wholeness mindset or wholeness in other areas, or whether it's just any area of your life. The place to start is at the cross. It's at the good news of what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection, because that's the birthplace of our wholeness. That's the source of all of our life. And so that's what we're going to look at initially this morning. There's lots of passages you could look at. There's uh, Romans 6, there's Ephesians 2, um, but this morning we're going to look at Colossians 2. So if while you're turning to there in your Bibles, or flicking to there on your phones, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background to this book. Colossians is a book, a letter written to a church in Colossae. Now if we can get the map up, boom. Now I don't know how good your eyesight is, there's this kind of brownie orange place called Lycia, Slightly north of that, you've got Colossae. Almost bang in the middle. That's handy. So Colossae was a fairly um, influential city. It was a fairly uh, kind of profitable city. And uh, it, would, it kind of faced influences from both sides. So on the west side, you've got Greek thinking, how the, the, the kind of Greek people thought about things. And then on the west side, you've got kind of the eastern... Nope. East side, you've got the Eastern thinking. And so we have the Apostle Paul, which is one of the early church leaders. And he looked at this church and realized some of this kind of thinking had started to infect the church. It had started to affect the way they thought and their well-being. And so he wrote a letter to this church to remind them of the things that they were once told and to bring them back into that wellness. And so we are going to start in verse 6. It says this, so then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love that. Rooted and built up in him. As Christians, as believers, Everything we need to do has to be based in Jesus. We need to find our roots in Jesus. If we're building a house, it needs to be founded. The foundations need to be buried deep in Jesus. Be rooted and built up in him. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And to a degree, this is where I want to put your, your self-help and your psychology kind of knowledge. Not to diminish those, these are great things. Both my parents work in mental health. My dad celebrated 30 years in mental health last year. So I'm a big fan of professional psychological help to understand all the wirings and what's going on in your brain. But the point is here is don't be held captive by these human traditions rather than Jesus. That we need to get the, the layers right where we start with Jesus. We start from that point and then we can look at some of these other things that give us fresh knowledge and fresh understanding. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to wholeness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you, have, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, 
In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed it to the powers and authorities. That death and sin that Don was talking about earlier, he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so here is the reality of our lives outside of Jesus, that we are all, each one of us, broken, dirty, sinful people. Now, we often don't like that language. We don't like this sense of who are you to tell me where I've gone wrong, where I've fallen short. The reality is, is we can take away God's standard and just bring in our own standard and realize we've fallen short of it. We all have this kind of nasty habit of looking at other people and going, oh, They shouldn't be behaving like that. They shouldn't be doing this. What they should be doing is this and this and this. And they should be doing better at that. And so we hold people to this high standard when the reality is we're probably living somewhere more like here. The classic example is when someone cuts you up on the road. When someone cuts you up, you're furious. How dare they? How can they do this? Do they not know how to drive? Do they get their license in a cereal box? We hold them to this high standard. And yet when it's us, when we're running late... And it's like, it's all, it's pretty much Amber. It's it's pretty much Amber. We find excuses for ourselves. We're happy being at this level. And we hold other people to this standard. So we fail our own standard. And whether it's our own standard or whether it's God's standard, the, the failure there, the sin, the shame, the guilt that comes with that weighs upon us. Whether we notice it or not, it's there weighing down upon us, crushing us. And more than crushing us, it is poisoning us. It's seeping into our hearts, producing that selfishness and that wickedness that's there. We all know that feeling of having a thought and going, Ooh. That's not the best thought. Like, we, we all have that part of us that's just not clean. It's not good. It's not right. We've been poisoned. And if we're lucky, if things are going well, we can hide that. We can cover that up. But when things are going badly, that's when it starts to leak out. It's when we lash out at people and hurt people. It damages our relationships. This is the reality of our lives outside of Christ. But the good news is that Jesus came... He came and he preached a message that we don't need to live according to the contaminations in our heart, that we get to live according to what God wants for our lives, according to his Holy Spirit in us. And then he went to the cross. He took all that sin and guilt and shame and he nailed it to the cross with himself. He died killing it in the process and then rose to life again, offering us fresh life in the new life that he has found. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the source of all kind of wholeness that we want to find. This is the source of all kind of life that we want to find. This is where we need to begin. As I was praying and worshiping earlier, I stumbled across a song that I thought really uh, grasps with this importance of starting with the good news of what Jesus has done. Uh, we'll play it at the very end, but I want to read you some of the lyrics now. It's by a band called Isla Vista Worship, and the song is called Captured. It says this, pain makes my questions grow too large, and I feel that I have run far. My memory fails me right, and I get enslaved to my own mind. Forgetfulness of your grace drags me around for miles until... Until I see the corner of your smile, 
You were good to me before I knew your name. I love that line. You were good to me before I knew your name. Your grace freed me from a selfish pain. I was lost and I felt the need, the need for you. How could I ever leave? Because you've captured my heart in ways I didn't know I could be captured. See, what is being conveyed in this song is an echo of what Paul said in verse 8. See that nothing captivates you. See that nothing of this world, nothing of what's going on around us captures and captivates or enslaves you in your mind. Instead, be captured by Christ. Be captured by the incredible goodness of what he has done for you. This is our starting point. So if that's our starting point, where do we go from here? Well, Paul continues. He goes on to talk about a specific situation in Colossae. And then he says in verse 3 this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our first point is set your mind if we're going to take the gospel as our beginning we need to set our mind and our focus on the good news of that gospel we need to continually be looking towards that as our standard that is our focus for most of us i would say that in the areas of mental health a lot of our struggles come from where we've put our focus it's come from taking our eyes off the good news of what jesus has done so anxiety will often rise when we set our focuses on the problems that we're facing and all the pressures and the issues that are around us. We're focusing not on the provision of God. And for many of us, the fact that he's provided for us this far, we forget that by accident. We take our eyes off that and we focus on the problems and anxiety begins to rise. With depression, it can often come from setting our minds on the hopelessness around us. We see the disasters and the evil and the stuff that's going on and we're like, God, what is it all for? Even in our own lives, we can lose this sense of purpose and because we've taken our eyes and our focus off of the good news, depression begins to rise. And so we need to set our focus on what God's doing. Now, I'm very conscious that there's, there'll be some in the room that struggle with probably much more severe things. And in those cases, we recognize actually there's a whole host of different reasons people can be in that situation. We don't want to narrow it down to just one little thing. There's so many different reasons that people can be struggling. But what I feel like we can say is if you're already struggling with depression... Where you set your focus is going to be the difference between feeding that and between starving that. And so set your mind. In a slightly different letter to the church in Philippi, Paul writes this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That we are called to focus on what is good around us. That if we're going through something difficult at work, there may be very real struggles at work and we're to acknowledge them. We're not hiding them. This isn't like pretending that bad things don't happen. We acknowledge them. But then we take the time to think, okay, but what is going well? What successes have we had? What wins have we had? Where can I celebrate? What is true? What is pure? What is good in this place of work? 
when someone frustrates us, we can allow ourselves to focus on the negative. We can allow ourselves to make them the villain, the bad guy in our minds. Or we can choose to think on what is good and pure about them. What things do they do well? Maybe they're really gifted in one area. Or maybe they've really cracked patience, and that's an area that you need to work on. Focus on what is good. And this is more than just happy thoughts. But this is a command from God's word, and it brings you into line with God's own heart. See, the devil has many names. One of them is the accuser. And so his role is to focus on the negative. He goes around pointing out all of the mistakes that people make, all of the things where people have fallen short. We don't want to be part of that. God does not want to be part of that. He instead focuses on what is good. Because if he just focused on what was bad, he wouldn't bother with us. He'd just get rid of it because we're not that great. But he can see the goodness that's in us. He can see where we could be. And so he calls that goodness out and says, hey, I've called you to something more. Hey, you've got a purpose. You've got so much potential here. And he focuses on the good. Even on those times when he has to deal with the issues in our lives, it's not to, to tear us down. It's to say, hey, if you can get rid of this, you've got so much ahead of you. Focus on what is good. Set your minds on the things above on the good news of what God is doing and on the good things around you. Now to focus briefly on, again, those that may be going through much more severe things. What I'm not saying is just a simple change in your thoughts can fix all your problems. I'm definitely not saying that. I don't even know if I can say that a simple change in your thoughts will fix any of your problems. But what I, what I feel like God is saying it's in the midst of your brokenness. If you set your eyes on him, God can still make you feel whole. In the midst of your brokenness, God can still make you feel whole. Growing up, I was always a smart kid. Did well in school. Uh, was always able to just kind of knuckle down and get on with it. Stress uh, when it came during exam times and whatever just kind of bounced off of me. Other people it would wear down, but I was seemed quite resistant to it. And so it was quite true in my younger years to say whatever I put my mind to, I could achieve. And so this became a bit of a kind of like a confidence for me. I was like, oh, whatever I face, me and my brain, we got this. We can sort it out. That became, uh, as I say, a, bit, a little bit of a, a stronghold for me to relax into for most of my life, until that was, until last year. See, last year was my second year at Matsy, and it may be different at different universities, but your second year tends to be your hardest. Your first year, they ease you in. The third year, because you're writing your dissertation, your 8,000 words, you've got less lectures, so you've got more time. But the second year, you've got all the lectures, and suddenly the difficulty ramps up. And I knew this. People warned, about, warned me about this. And so me, being clever, thought, oh, Knowing that this is going to be a difficult year, I know what I'll do. I'll take on two part-time jobs. I'll go to extra lessons because they look interesting. I'll lead a whole bunch of teams at Matsey, plus all my responsibilities here at Newark. And so I started plodding through my second year with all of these responsibilities weighing down on me. And I thought, it's fine. I can just get through this. About halfway through the year, I reached the point where it felt quite literally like my brain was tearing in two. I could almost hear it ripping. And yet I still continued. I was like, look, my brain's not failed me yet. Me and my brain, we got this. I just need to like just grip my teeth, push through. It's going to be fine. And all the while, I'm piling more and more responsibilities onto myself. 
And so by the grace of God, I don't know how, but I got to the end of my second year and I managed to get it all past the post. My grades were the best they'd ever been. I didn't drop anything. All of the jobs I needed to do were done. I was like, victory, me and my mega brain, we got this. And then we got to the final week of the final term. We were having a a time of prayer and worship. And uh, in the middle of this, I just start crying. And as I've already mentioned, I don't really mind crying. Normally, if I'm crying in God's presence, that's a good thing. And so I start crying. And a friend comes over and he goes to give me a hug. And I am clinging on to him for dear life. I just cannot let him go for 20 minutes. I'm just held there, just weeping at this point, full on sobbing as he's old, as I'm holding on to him. And it was like my body realized we're hurting and this hurt needs to get out. But the bit that scared me the most was inside I felt nothing. There was no emotion. There was no pain that I could feel, but my body was just screaming in pain. And I knew in that moment, I was like, uh-oh, I'm broken. And so I go from that meeting and for the rest of the week, I then start having panic attacks. I stop being able to hold on to thoughts. Every time I try and grasp hold of something, it seems to slip through my fingers. I'm just bursting into tears at random moments and I've got no reason why. And I'm just like, I am broken. This mind that I'd come to rely on that had been my strength all these years has suddenly failed me and I didn't know what to do. And all I could think was I need to get home. And so as soon as the week finished, I loaded up my car and I bombed it back to home. Two hours all the way from Mattersea to Kingsland. And in that car, all I could do, I had worship music in the background, could not hold a single thought together. My mind in pieces was cry out to God, God, I need you. For two hours, tears streaming down my face, God, I need you. Now, fortunately, I was able to heal. It took a long time. It took about three months of rest. And loving parents that were trained and equipped to guide me through the process. But I was able to reach healing. But it wasn't a quick fix. It took time. But what I can say is that in that moment, in that car, my mind was completely in pieces. Yet in his presence, I felt whole. If you are struggling, really seriously struggling in this area of mental health, I can't say it's going to be a quick fix. But I can say, if you set your mind on him, he can help you to feel whole. Time is running away. (laughs) Second point. Where are we at? Oh, man, I've spoken loads. Where am I? There we go. Nope. Renew your mind. Da-da-da-da. That's right. I know what I'm doing, 100%. Renew your mind. So once we've made that decision to set our minds, we then want to renew our minds. See, the trap we can fall into is thinking, if I just think differently, everything will be better. And the passage we often use to support it, I think is from 2 Corinthians, where it talks about take captive every thought. And so what happens is we have a thought pattern that's going around our head and we go, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to choose to think like this. I'm going to set my mind on the things of God. And that's great. You should definitely do that. But that doesn't actually change the thought pattern. And so what happens is that thought pattern will come back and then we have to resist it again. And then the thought pattern will come back and we have to resist it again. It doesn't actually change the thought pattern. And what happens is eventually we just end up giving back in to that default way of thinking. If all we do is just set our mind and in an individual moment decide to think differently, nothing's going to change. We've not changed anything. So what does Paul recommend? 
He says this in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your behavior, your actions. Sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of the, these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, with its actions, with its behaviors, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge to the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile. Go on to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, even one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect peace so we somehow think that our thoughts and our actions are separate but they're not the two are intrinsically linked that actually the reality is most of our behaviors most of our decisions come out not out of conscious thought but come out of ingrained habits and behaviors both in our physical actions, but also in our thinking. If you want to change the way you think habitually, you need to change the way you habitually behave. And so Paul lists two sets of behaviors here. He lists a set of of, of bad behaviors, behaviors that he believes are going to negatively impact your health, the way you think. And then he lists a whole bunch of good behaviors, things that you should start putting in place so that you can have a good way of thinking. And right bang in the middle, he says, having taken off your old self with its practices, put on the new self so that you may be renewed. That we choose to take off these negative behaviors. We actively make the decision to habitually stop doing these things and that we take on these new things, begin to put them into our life, apply them, habitually live that way so that it renews our minds. So practically speaking, what does this look like? Say you're struggling with the issue of being unloving and so you know you have a uh, kind of a habit of thinking unloving thoughts you make the decision look i'm going to start thinking loving thoughts good make that decision but if you stop there all that's going to happen is you're still going to have that pattern of unlovingness going around in your head and you're just going to have to daily fight against it with no hope of any change but if instead as well as that you decide, I'm actually going to start behaving and acting more loving as well. I'm going to make the choice that in my habits, I'm going to be as loving as possible, even if I don't feel it, even if in the moment it doesn't feel or think natural, I'm going to do it because I know that over time it's going to change my habits and change my thinking. Then you've got a habitual thinking pattern that's becoming more loving. And at that point, you'll no longer have to fight against your thinking, but you are in in freedom. You're in alliance with your freedom. That's the freedom that Jesus brings. It's not a freedom to do whatever you want. It's a freedom that you're no longer having to fight against yourself to do what's right. This is why alive we we set such high expectations for living. It's because we we it's not because we want to control you. It's not because we're police that we have to like police your behaviors. It's not because we're controlling freaks and you need to listen to everything we say. The reason that we set such a high expectation is because we believe this is the best way to live. If you live this way, this is going to have uh, an impact on your thinking. It's going to improve the wholeness in which we want you to walk in. 
And so when we encourage or discourage behaviors such as going out and getting drunk or getting into fights, arguing with each other, gossiping with each other, we do that because we don't think these behaviors are helping you. We want you to get rid of them because then you can lead into wholeness. And then we want to encourage you into good behaviors, pursuing healthy relationships. When there's conflict, don't avoid it, but address it so you can live in unity. We encourage people to, to, to give and tithe, not because we, we desperately want your money, but because we want to develop that heart of generosity inside of you. We encourage you to serve so that you have that heart of serving other people. The way you behave, the way you act, those habits that you form affect the way you think. So if you want to renew your mind, renew your habits to change your thoughts. Third point, we want you to use your mind. You've probably heard the adage, use it or lose it. I believe this is true when it comes to your mind. If you don't use your mind, if you don't stretch it, if you don't grow, if you're not learning things, eventually it's just going to slowly decline. Throughout the Bible, we see a God-given principle of growth and multiplication. We see it all through the Bible. But even right at the beginning, God makes the earth and then he starts off and then makes a garden and puts the people in the garden. And he says to the people, go forth and multiply, have children, do your thing, make more of you. But then take this garden and spread it. Grow what I've given you to take over all the earth. And I believe this is the principle he's given us with our minds. That our minds aren't just to kind of stay where they are, but he wants us to grow our minds. He wants us to learn new things. That comes from reading his word. That comes from reading what other people are saying about his word. It comes from reading books, from listening to podcasts, from watching educational videos. I don't think it's a surprise that Part of the official recommendation for kind of well-being, one of the points is learn something new. When your brain is growing and learning, when your mind is learning, it tends to be in a healthier position. But this isn't just for you. Don't forget, there's also a principle of multiplication. That God wants to multiply, multiply, multiply your mind. That the things that you learn, the, the growth that you're experiencing, he wants you to pass on to others. I used the uh, analogy before of a, a pool of water, that if you have a, a pool of water and a stream flowing into it, but no stream flowing out, it gets stale. There's an official, what's the word? Stagnant. There we go. See, this is a group effort. We're learning together. If you have a pool of water and there's water flowing into it, but nothing flowing out, that water gets stagnant. But if you've got a pool of water and water flowing in and water flowing out, that water stays fresh. It's the same with our minds. If we've got stuff going into our minds but no outlet to helping others, our minds are going to get stagnant. But if we've got that constant flow that as we're learning and as we're growing, we're pouring into others, we're going to stay fresh. This is why we encourage people to get connected into our connect groups. Because these are great opportunities first to grow because it stretches us and, and, and causes us to learn new things. But also it causes us to multiply as we share with one another what we're learning. And so we need to use our minds. And so we have setting our minds on God and on the good things around us. We have renew our minds, changing our behaviors and our actions so that they can renew the thinking that's going on. We have use our minds to grow and to learn and to pour into others. But the final point I want to make, I think may seem like a, a contradiction to this one. It's not quite. 
But I think sometimes we use our minds too much. Not for these good things, not for growing and learning, but we just fill our minds with noise, with TV or music or radio or news or whatever it is. And this noise is going on inside of our head and that noise is actually just covering up things that we need to deal with, pains and hurts that are inside of us. As a student, I tend to drive kind of cheap, old cars. Now, don't get me wrong, I love, I love my cars. They, they've done me well. But the problem with cheap, old cars is they tend to have problems with them. And so it's not uncommon for me to be driving along and to hear some weird noises start coming from my car, some weird kind of like rattling or screeching. And so what do I do when I hear those noises? I take that radio and I turn it up. No problems. I can't hear no noise. I don't know what the problem is. Sorted. Now, we can all see how silly that thinking is, but we do it all the time. It's that we've got past hurts, frustrations, pains, negative emotions that we don't want to have to feel. And so we shove them down and crank up the noise in our head and make it like everything is good. But it's not good because that stuff's still there. It's still hurting us. It's still poisoning us from the inside out. And so God looks at us and goes, no, what are you doing? I want you to take that hurt and bring it out and bring it to me, not store it away. I want to be able to address it. I want to be able to heal it. I can't do that how it is. One of the the big things to come out of this area of mental health over the last few years is this practice of mindfulness. And as Christians, we can get into a bit of a huff and we're like, oh, we don't like that because that's Eastern. That's like new age stuff. I don't want anything to do with that. And we can get, I think into a little bit of a tizzy because the reality is to some degree or another people of God have been practicing mindfulness for millennia not in the sense of I'm going to empty my mind because we don't want empty minds but in the sense that I'm going to still my mind long enough to take stock of what's going on what am I feeling inside emotionally physically what's going on in my mind and then taking that information that we find and bringing it to God that's the Psalms basically that's why you read a number of Psalms and they're They seem all depressing because they're like, oh, God, I just feel like I'm being oppressed from all sides. And I feel depressed and weak and I just, I wish I was dead. Or sometimes they're quite angry emotions. I don't know about you. Sometimes I've read these Psalms and they're like, God, just kill my enemies, dash their babies. And you're like, ooh, that's, ooh, calm down with that kind of language. But the importance of these Psalms isn't that they're good thoughts, The importance of these Psalms is that they're honest thoughts. It's that these are people going, God, this is what's going on inside of me. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to pretend it's not there and put a smile on my face. This is what I'm feeling. Because who knows that even though we probably shouldn't, we've a few times had those thoughts where we're like, God, I just wish you'd... Right? We have thoughts that we don't like, but the Psalmists weren't afraid of these thoughts. They brought them to the fore and brought them to God so that God could heal them. See, if we want wholeness in our lives, we can't be dealing with just, we can't just have just bits of brokenness that we just leave inside of us. We can't just have bits of hurting that we're just like, oh, I'll just take that away. We can't be whole with that stuff there. One of the passages that um, often comes to me when I'm struggling in my mental health is the, the passage, be still and know that I am God. This sense, just be still and allow for this stuff to come out. Set your focus on who God is. Because the reality is we can't take that initial step of setting our minds on God if our, not, not, if our minds are just full of noise. 
And so we need to take time to be still and know and focus on he is God. If stuff needs to bubble up, it needs to bubble up. And so that's what where I want us to focus on now. See, there'll be time during the week for you to to look at your habits, look at your behaviours and decide what you want to do differently. There'll be time to read and learn and grow and you should do those and that's all good things. But right now, we have an opportunity to be still, to focus on what God is doing and let him start to deal with this stuff that we've been burying down deep. And so that's what I want to make opportunity for us to do. In a minute, the guys at the back are going to play us a song, the song that I mentioned earlier. And this space in the front is open to anyone and everyone that's struggling at whatever level in this issue, who recognises, actually, I need to spend some time being still and setting my mind on God. And if stuff bubbles up and you start crying or other emotions start coming out, that's fine. This is a safe space, better here than anywhere else. So yeah, so that's so we're going to do that. If you're one of the few people that decide not to come forward, that's not a judgment in any way. You might genuinely be in a good place. Let me encourage you also to be setting your minds on God, but also to be declaring that goodness of what he's doing over those of us that are going to be at the front here. That spirit that we had before of praying for one another. So let's bring that back because we want to see these people at the front. I'm going to be down here myself. We want to see people come into freedom and wholeness in their mind thinking. And yes, we're going to leave them to it. No one's going to come and pray for them. But we also want to, like, we're actively praying for them. But we want to be supporting them in that. So guys, if you want to play that song, and I'd just like to open this space up to you. If you need that, if you need a no, I need to be still and focus on God. Here's the place for it. He makes my questions grow too large. And I feel that I run far. My memory fails me right. I get enslaved to my own mind. Forgetfulness of your grace drags me around for miles until I see. Until I see the corner of your smile, oh, you were good to me before I knew your name, your grace freed me from a selfish pain. Remember who I am in you. 
that you have brought about. We help. We pray that you help us set our minds on you and on those good things. We pray that you help us with our habits to live in a whole way so that we can think in a whole way. We pray you that you help us grow and multiply in everything that we learn. And we pray that you remind us create space, moments of stillness where you can come and you can bring healing to each one of us. In your name, amen. Those of you that are the front, feel free to stay if you still feel like you need to seek God. But every week we make time for people to encounter God for the first time. And so maybe maybe you've, you've never considered yourself a believer, a Christian, or maybe you used to and you've fallen away, this is your opportunity to confess Jesus as your Lord. And so we have a prayer that we pray every week. What we're going to do is we're going to pray this together. And if this is you making that commitment, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to be the center of my wholeness. We're going to ask everyone to bow their heads and we're just going to ask you to put your hand up. And we're going to just, one of my, my colleagues is going to come to you and they're going to, 
bring you a little book and explain you explain to you a little bit more about the journey but let's read this prayer together thank you god for loving me before i ever loved you thank you jesus for dying on the cross for me thank you that i can get connected to you now because you are alive today i admit that i have lived my life without you and have messed up i ask for your total forgiveness and i commit myself to you Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.